0: Said in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. When the people are being screamed and there's naked people running around, demon possessed, and when Jesus says, come out. We read that and we go, yeah, Jesus. And then we face a a trial in our life and we go, what's going to happen? I don't know. This is too hard for me to overcome. I can't deal with it. I do that all the time. I'm not saying, like, let me stand up here and tell you what you're supposed to do as a Christian because that would be complete hypocrisy. but I sit in my job all the time and I go, oh, this makes no sense to me. Why is this so hard? And, oh. and then God goes, you're applying worldly logic and reason to something that is from me. And you need to ask the spirit to open your mind to the truth that I have for you. And he says, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world because the gospel is foolish. When you talk to people and you tell people about Jesus and they say, You believe that a guy, 2,000 years ago, died on a cross, came back to life, and that dictates everything in your life. That's how you live your life, based on this guy that you've never seen, you've never talked to -to face-to-face. He rose from the dead. Have you ever seen anybody raised from the dead? I haven't. So you can understand why people go, Christians are dumb. They don't don't know what real truth is. So let's look at what we believe. What is the gospel, right? A lot of times because we're afraid of the the irrationality of what we believe or the implausibility based on worldly standards, what we believe, we tend to dumb down the gospel and we make it more about like living a good life, a social gospel, help people, love people. And then you're like, why is no one getting saved? Why is nobody's lives changing? Well, guess what? I can be an unbeliever and I can feed the homeless. I can be an unbeliever and I can help. That's always the thing I fall to, even though I've never done it, I don't think. Help old ladies across the street. I must be really a heathen because I've never practiced what I preach, which is helping old ladies across the street. Um, But, you know, what ends up happening is we try, try to reason with people the gospel. We say, well, here's why you should believe in the gospel. Let me give you all the points, A, B, C. And then the person goes, wow, that makes total sense. I will become a Christian based on that information. Has that ever happened? No. It's the power of God that gets people saved. How do we have power if we're saying, do good things? It's about our power, not about God's power. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he tells us what the gospel is. In case you weren't aware of what it is, um, the message of the cross he talks about is foolishness. Preaching the gospel has to involve the cross. There's no good news without the cross. There's no good news without the burial. There's no good news without the resurrection. First Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15:1 through 4 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which is that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And what I love is that he says, hold fast the word that I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Because a lot of people believe in vain, meaning they, it makes sense to them with their worldly mind and therefore they believe. And then as soon as someone comes along and gives them another argument that makes sense to them, their faith is shipwrecked, right? They go, oh, no!" kids go to college and someone says, well, you know, and they start to give in their... their uh, philosophy and all that stuff, and they've never applied biblical understanding to what they've been preached. They've never built on the foundation of Jesus Christ in studying the scriptures and asking the spirit to open their mind to supernatural things that once somebody comes in and starts to give them, they spout off their worldly wisdom, they abandon the faith because they believed in vain. They did not take the gospel and ask God to powerfully change their thoughts and change the way they reason because of the gospel. Um, 1 Peter 2, he talks about the three points of the gospel, which is Christ dying, being buried, and raising again. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. Christ died for our sins, 1 Peter says, by dying on the tree and by... Him dying on the tree, we also have died to those sins. Um, for Him being buried, the importance of the, His burial, if Jesus was just left on the side of the road after He died, there would be a lot of things that we would not be able to partake in, according to the Scriptures. Uh, Romans 6.4 says, Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Our old man is put away. When we are buried with Christ. In First uh, 1 Peter 1, 1.3, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resur- resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If not for the resurrection, there is no hope. The gospel that was preached by the apostles and all throughout the book of Acts was the death and resurrection of Jesus. So when we try to reason with people and we try to apply logic when we preach the gospel, we shouldn't be surprised when people go, "Eh, that doesn't really make sense to me. So that's good for you, whatever. Because oftentimes if we're not careful, we're removing from the gospel message the very gospel, which is Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. We say, Jesus is going to help you. He's going to help you live a better life. Jesus is going to, save you. And to an unbeliever, that doesn't make sense to them. Save them from what? The, you know, it just sounds like, okay, whatever. So we have to start here with salvation because it's the same argument when we're walking as believers. And this is where I got stuck is that I was like, okay, I know I receive salvation by faith. And then what? Everything else is up to me, right? I have to figure it out. God's like, here's your roadmap. Now go and figure it out. You know, and, and Colossians, I believe it says that as you have received Jesus, so walk in him. We receive Jesus by faith. We need to walk by faith. And faith is believing in something that we can't tangibly see. Putting our trust in something that we can't tangibly see. So when we talk about Jesus raising from the dead, that's a miracle, right? A miracle. Logic Denies miracles. When you rationalize the gospel and you start to try to make it make sense to unbelievers, it's not going to. Because the stumbling block, as it says in 1 Corinthians, is the fact that you're saying somebody rose from the dead. Okay? That's really a huge issue. And we spend so much time trying to prove the science of the Bible when God calls us to believe in something unseen, something that is beyond our own ability to understand and reason away. And I'm not trying to say, like, we should not be smart. Because there's a lot of preachers out there will say, science is of the devil, and they start getting all angry and throwing things. But um, I'm not saying that at all. We shouldn't abandon logic and reason. I'm saying we need to go to the source of all logic and reason, which is God and his Holy Spirit, and not allow a fallible man to dictate how we interpret the Bible. And it's important, the resurrection... Because in Romans 10, 9, did you know that when it says how you're saved, it doesn't say, believe that Jesus died on the cross for you? That sounds blasphemous, right? But in Romans 10, 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, how did he die? The cross, obviously. That's the message of the cross. We can't allow Jesus to stay on the cross. We have to preach the resurrection, the miraculous, because... That is how we have... That's how we conquer death. That's how we conquer sin. That's how we have eternity with Christ. It's walking in the newness of life based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we just lost everybody. We've lost all the unbelievers because we're saying, somebody rose from the dead. It's crazy. So, have we allowed logic and reason to be... Have we allowed our logic and reason to be shaped by our earthly experience? And if so, if... How we understand things is based on our own experiences. How can we believe in the miraculous? I've never experienced a miracle. At least, I've never witnessed it like firsthand. I know people have gotten healed. You know, they go to the doctor one day, they're dying of cancer. They go to the doctor another, a week later, they don't have cancer anymore. That's a miracle. So it's it's dangerous when we uh, when we don't take the word for what it says because we're hindering the Spirit's power in our life. It says, uh, let's get back to 1 Corinthians, sorry. In verse 22, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So, when you read this, Paul is saying, miracles aren't enough. And there's some people that all they want to care about is miracles. And like, crazy signs. The miracles and signs are to back up what is preached, right? The miracles don't go first. It's preaching the gospel of Jesus and the power of God being demonstrated to confirm the word that is preached. And we can't neglect that. But some people, they just want to get into all the miraculous. But he says, Jews seek a sign. That's what the Jews wanted. Yeah, we know the message. Show us something cool. And they did it with Jesus all the time, even though he did miracles all the time, which is weird. Show us that you're God by doing something miraculous. What, like the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish? You know, what else? Casting out demons? I cast out demons, and you say that I cast out demons by the devil. They're not going to be pleased. People want to see things. They want to show me, you know, and we do that as Christians. God, if you show me something awesome, then I'll believe all in, right? And I, this is where I get stuck. I haven't seen anything. I don't, I don't see what you're saying in the Bible happening, so therefore, I can't believe it. Jesus said, blessed are those that believe that have not seen. So, I'm not talking about believing in the miraculous without any basis or foundation in the scriptures. But I'm also saying, like as he says, Greeks, they seek for wisdom. They want you to to argue with them. They want to have some type of higher knowledge. And that's the audience that Paul was talking to. But he says, but to those who are called... Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So that involves somebody else, not us. So when we're preaching the gospel, there is another person there dictating whether that person is going to receive it or reject it. And in 2 Corinthians, it talks about that the God of this age has blinded the hearts of those that are perishing. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our gospel message to remove the blinders, which is something we don't tangibly see, right? Right? So, again, it's not in our reasoning and our ability to argue. Because people get stuck there. They really do. They're like, what if that person asks me a question when I'm preaching the gospel and I don't have the answer? Rely on the Holy Spirit and you'll have the answer. Even if you have the perfect answer, unless the Spirit of God removes the blinder from that person, they will not accept it. You could prove the argument and they'll say, nope. Even though they have no reason to argue against it. It's a spiritual issue. That's why we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to dictate how we preach our gospel message. And he says in verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I read this verse and I say, Yeah, God, I want to make foolish the wisdom of the world. And he says, Okay, then you need to be foolish. Because he says, I make the foolish things in the world shame the wise. If I want to confound the arguments of unbelievers, and and the reason that's out there, then I need to be made a fool for Christ's sake. That's where I cringe, right? I don't want the Christians or the non-Christians that I work with to find out that I'm really a Christian, like a Christian Christian, like the ones that are wacko. So I walk around and I pride myself on being the Christian at work that's just Christian enough to not... Partake in the arguments and the, the innuendos and all that stuff, but not so Christian that he's going to rub my face in it. Right? I do this all the time. I'm like, God, you don't want me to push that boundary because I'll demolish this cool Christian vibe that I've been portraying for your sake. I want Christian, other, uh, sorry, I keep saying Christians. I want non believers to look at me and be like, well, Christians are cool. Does it say that in the Bible? No, it doesn't. That's just something I've prayed that God would make my ministry. <laughs> It's not happening. Sorry, I'm like, I, you know, yeah, he's a Christian, but he's cool, so he's okay. You know, when I wonder why am I not having an impact, it's because he's saying, "Well, have you been made foolish yet? Have you been made of, you know, nothing?" I love that. And Paul doesn't art. He makes he doesn't. He's not insulting them, but he's like, "Come on, look at you guys. You're stupid. You're weak." Right, but guess what? God called you, and He can use those things to confound and overthrow the wisdom of the world. That's exciting for me because I'm hoping that one day my weakness will be made strength in Christ, so much so that I see the power demonstrated through my own life, and I pray that for all of you as well. And the reason is so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Paul in Galatians six fourteen said. But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Is our life marked by boasting in the cross of Christ? Or is it boasting in, God gave me a lot of cool stuff. God blesses me. Look, I turned to Jesus and everything's been going right in my life. That's not what we boast in. Because for me, that's not true. My life didn't get 20 times better in the material, earthly sense when I became a Christian. Now, granted, I was four. So how would I really know? You're like, wow, my toys are better. I didn't pee the bed. Things are great. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm trying to bring a little levity to the whole thing. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that's not the gospel we preach. We boast in the cross on our Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection that he conquered sin and death for us. That's what we boast in. In Judges 7-2, the story of Gideon, if you're familiar with it, God told Gideon, he's like, kept 20,000 or however many soldiers, and he said, there are too many soldiers. And Gideon's like, what? There's numerous soldiers with the Midianites. We can't even count them, and we have some, so hopefully we'll be able to beat them. And he said in Judges 7-2, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God does not want any human being boasting in his presence. So when we, make our, when we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us, we might seem foolish to the world. But that's great because then God gets all the glory for the power and the things that are happening. It's not, look what Jeff's doing or whoever. It's, look what God is doing and the tools that he's using. The foolish and the weak Right? And that the problem is is we try to build ourselves and it's so subtle we don't realize it. I want to get really smart in the Word so that I can just confound every argument. Boom! Yeah, you think you know about creation? Let me tell you about creation. You think you know about five-point Calvinism? Let me tell you. You know, everybody wants to argue and Christians start to build up arguments and, it, and we're all up here and people are dying and going to hell down here. It doesn't make sense. And I get so... It's so tempting because it's, it's fun. The more I read the Bible, I'm finding out all these things and I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. But then I can get stuck in the, the eye, dotting the I's and crossing the T's to make sure that I understand it and then I can teach it. Because if I don't quite grasp it, then it must not be true because I'm that smart, right? It's dangerous. And that's where I felt God was just like hammering me. I just had to, I got on my knees and I don't do this. I don't cry. I just—I mean, there was tons of things going on, and I just felt totally overwhelmed. I got on my knees and I said, "God, I need a new mind because my mind can't hold it anymore. I'm at max capacity." Have you ever had that happen, where you're just like information overload? And I was like, "Okay, what the? There's, this verse says this, and this verse says this, and I, how did I fit into that? And what, what happens? And what do you mean by this?" And He's like, "Well, have you come to ask me what I mean by this? I'm the author." People read Shakespeare and they're like, well, I don't know what that means. But if you're sitting with Shakespeare, he'd be like, oh, what I meant by that was X, Y, and Z. Oh, that makes total sense. Why don't we do that when we have the God of the universe who wrote the word living inside of us? We go, hmm, I wonder what this means. Let me go get a commentary. Let me go see what it says on Wikipedia about the, uh, the verse in 2 Corinthians. And I was doing that. you, you kind of like, I want to see what the world says about it so that I can argue it. Because if the world says this, then I know how to counteract that argument. Why am I doing that? Why does anybody do that? But people do it all the time. It's the word of God. Sorry, it's the spirit of God in the believer revealing the word of God in the believer. That is how God has designed it to be. And it says in verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. If you want wisdom from God, it's Jesus Christ. Righteousness is, And sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You don't have anything. If you're smart, you give God the glory. Because it's the wisdom of God and Jesus Christ that's living inside of you that makes you smart. If you're righteous, you have no boasting. Because Jesus Christ is our righteousness. If you've been redeemed, you're not better than anybody who hasn't been. Because Jesus has called you to be redeemed. You don't boast in yourself. You don't boast in your accomplishments. You don't boast in your wisdom. You boast in Jesus Christ. In, uh, let's take a look at this idea of Jesus being our wisdom. What does that mean? How do we have wisdom to apply to the Word? It says in Colossians 2.2, it says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Notice this. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul is praying to the, for the Colossians that our hearts, and we can just apply this to us as the church, that our hearts may be encouraged, that we would be knit together in love, that we would attain to all of the riches of the full assurance of understanding. You want to know something for sure? Paul's praying that we would, that the church would. To the knowledge of the mystery of God. You want to understand the mysteries of God, both of the Father and of Christ? Here's the, the, uh, the tool In whom, Christ, are hidden all of the riches, I'm sorry, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want to have wisdom, you want to understand the Bible, it's in Jesus Christ. And He lives inside of every believer. We just need to yield our earthly wisdom, our earthly reasoning, and say, God, I know what Jeff thinks about this, but what do you think about this? When I'm reading this, is the word coming alive to me, or is it a textbook? Is the word. Changing me? Am I being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, or am I just getting a couple cool verses in my back pocket for when that person has an argument at work? I can say, "Boom, nailed it." Or when a Jehovah's Witness comes to my door, man, bam, 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 I know it inside and out. And then we walk and we go, "I wonder why there's no fruit in my life." Oh well, it's so dangerous because it happens to every believer because it's such we we it's subtle because we're like, "But I'm reading the Word." But I'm studying. But I'm showing myself approved as a teacher of the word. He's like, but why? Why are you doing it? What is the emphasis? Is it to boast in yourself? Is it to boast in me? So Jesus is our righteousness, he says in verse 30. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is our sanctification. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you, he says as he listed terrible things that people were doing, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And Jesus is our redemption. Hebrews 9.12 Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. What does that mean for us? Titus 2, 13 and 14. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. In those verses, you'll see human beings did not initiate one iota of those things at all. So if I want to have wisdom from God, I need him to initiate it in me. I can't, initiate, like I mean, I can practically open my Bible, but I have to receive, to download from heaven every bit of information that I need if I'm going to have wisdom. If I'm going to have righteousness, it's God imputing that righteousness on my behalf. It's not me attaining to that. It's not me making myself sanctified. It's not me redeeming myself or proving that I was worth redeeming, which is something we often try to do. Well, God redeemed me because he saw potential in me. And now I'm living up to that potential. No. It's because he loved us. He loved us because he loves us. That's it. If you can't get your head around that, which I can't, then how can I apply my reasoning to anything else in the Bible? Whew. Crazy. Sorry. I just, I'm hoping this kind of is making sense because it's like this has like been pounding my head for the last five days. But um, let's move into chapter two because this is where we want to bring it home. Um, How do we present this idea of confounding the wise with the foolishness of God? What does that mean? Paul was a smart guy, he was a gifted orator. uh, Church tradition says uh, Gamaliel, his teacher, he couldn't keep him in books. Every book he gave to Paul, Paul consumed it. He couldn't give him books fast enough. Paul was smart. People want to say he was, uh, he was just all God. It was. The impact that he had on the world was him yielding to the Holy Spirit. But Paul as a man was a smart person. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to say this. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Can we say that about ourselves? I hope I can say that about myself someday that I know nothing except Jesus and him crucified. Everything in my life is marked by that truth. If it's not, then I need to get back at the cross. Like we sang in that song, kneeling in the dust at the foot of the cross because that's where my victory was won. That is where the new life comes from. And when we talk about the message of the cross, obviously that includes the entire mission of Jesus, which was to descend from heaven, to bring the wisdom from heaven to us, impart it to us, die on the cross, conquer sin and raise from the dead. The message of the cross includes the resurrection. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, check this out, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. True revelation comes by the power of the Holy Spirit and not by man's reasoning. Paul intentionally refused to cater to his audience. Corinth was famous for Reason And they wanted to, uh, you'll see it in the book of Acts. Every time Paul would go to a new Greci- uh, Grecian town, they would say, we want to he- hear a new thing. You know, that's what, the, uh, um, let me turn there in Acts real quick because it's interesting the way they describe it. Because this is the world that we live in. It says in Acts 17, 21. Now, all the Athenians... And the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. People don't like the message of the gospel because it's old. 2,000 years old. Tell me something new. And you hear preachers, you know, and there's, there's movements in the church where it's like, this is a new thing. It's not a new thing. It's us recovering something that had been lost. We have to be careful when we start talking about new things. Because that's what the world wants. We want this new truth. The truth of the gospel is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago, as it was before the foundation of the world when the lamb that was slain. The problem is, is that we stray from it, and then when we come back to it, we're like, whoa, this is new. It's not. When we come back to it, it's the same message that it's always been. We just have been lost in our sauce, as they say. But because of this audience where they're like, we just want to hear something new, Paul intentionally chose not to get into those arguments and to get into that logic and reason and all that high-mindedness. It's a far far cry from our current church culture, which is to make everything more relevant and easily palatable, right? If someone can be persuaded to become a Christian, then they can certainly be persuaded to give up on Christ as well. If they believe in God because of a good argument, then a convincing counterpoint can shipwreck their faith. That's why it's important that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's dictating how we believe things, how we apply our knowledge of the word. Because if we're only coming to the word with our worldly mind, then somebody else can ha- that's smarter than us, that does more study and is to attack our faith, we'll do it and they'll do it successfully. Because we won't be rooted and grounded in the word by the power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit won't be produced in our life. In verse, let's skip down, it says, uh, verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. You're like, ooh, that sounds cool. Which God decreed before the ages for our glory. That's what I said before. It's not new. The message is not new. It's old. It's before the ages, before there was a thing called old. Outside of time. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of a man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And we often apply this verse to heaven, we're like, yeah, God's preparing a place for us. But it's also true of right now. We don't understand with our eyes or our ears, and our heart can't even imagine what God has prepared for us here. We need God to show us with a new mind and a new understanding from the Holy Spirit to understand what He's prepared for us to do. Not just prepared a place for us later. What is He prepared for us now? Ephesians 2, you guys know the verse. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So not only did God prepare a place for us, but he prepared beforehand something for us to do here. But it's from him. It's a gift. We can't apply our own efforts into it and have an impact. So if we want to get to wisdom, how do we achieve real wisdom? You know, Isaiah says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So how can we get there? Right? How do we do that? It doesn't make any sense. How can we explain what God wrote in his word and apply it to our life unless we have help? And that help has to be from God. Um, James three thirteen says, Who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above but is earthly, sensual, demonic. We need wisdom that descends from above. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Jesus said in John 16... When the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you the things to come. Back in 1 Corinthians, he says um, in verse 10, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You guys know the verse in Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He became the foolish thing, and the weak thing in order to confound the wise. Just like we've been called to confound the wise as foolish and weak individuals, Jesus entered into our reality and did that for us. He brought the wisdom from above. So when it says the wisdom from above, it's talking about Jesus descending and the fact that in verse 30 of, Acts, uh, of 1 Corinthians 1, it said that he is our wisdom. God made him our wisdom. It's Jesus Christ that, that gives us that. But we have to humble ourselves. We can't come into this with a high-mindedness. In Mark ten fifteen, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. There has to be a, a childlike faith and a belief in what God is saying. Because those that are high, those that are, I'm above that, they're not going to be able to grasp it because it's not going to make sense to them because it's foolishness. In James 1, five it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So when I come to the Word, and when you come to the Word, and you're like, this just doesn't make sense to me anymore. God said, okay, abandon what you think makes sense, and come to me. I will give you the wisdom that you so desire, if you ask. He gives it liberally. So God's a liberal. Did you know that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's like, yeah, everybody can have it. It's for you. Take it. That's what he wants. The wisdom that you so desire, he wants to give it to you. We get stuck in our minds, and the battleground of the Christian faith is the mind, and you know that, right? The enemy gets us to believe things that are not true, but we make that our reality. Well, I don't see it in my life, so therefore it's not true. That's not reality. Oswald Chambers said, We have a tendency to forget that a person is not only committed to Jesus Christ for salvation, but is also committed, responsible, and accountable to Jesus Christ's view of God, the world, and of sin and the devil. This means that each person must recognize the responsibility to be transformed by the renewing of his mind. And that's what we want. Romans twelve two, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I cannot expect to, un- to understand the deep things of God if my mind has not been renewed by the Holy Spirit. Wisdom from above teaches us to reason according to God's truth and not by our own experience. It also comes from a place where the miraculous is the norm. Think about that. The wisdom that we receive from God, there's no such thing as miracles because that's every day. That's who God is. Wisdom from above is not affected by the arguments from below. C.S. Lewis has a cool quote. It says, The mind which asks for a non-miraculous Christianity is a mind in process of relapsing from Christianity into mere religion. Let me say that again. The mind which asks for a non-miraculous Christianity is a mind that is in process of relapsing from Christianity into mere religion. Our faith is based on a miracle. Jesus Christ raising from the dead. The Bible is full of the miraculous. And uh, he's been challenging me to not go by what I've seen, to go by what is not seen. Because the things that are seen are temporary. The things that are not seen are eternal. And that is the wisdom that I want to have. I want to have the mind of Christ so that I can discern. You know, Jesus is the word made flesh. And the Bible says that the word of God is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God knows when my thinking towards him is not correct but he's faithful and he wants to give me that wisdom liberally without holding anything back. All I have to do is ask for it. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the patience of these folks. Thank you for your word. And I pray that you would teach us to follow your truth, to be led by your Holy Spirit into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen.